The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I want to share with you the power of a vision. It's a story that I've gone through a couple of times over the last few days and I'm obsessed and I'm obsessed and I'm obsessed and I'll say it three times. There was a rabbi, he notices that there's a man who comes to shul every day, every Shabbat or every holiday and each time he would come, he would notice something strange about this fellow. The fellow would get up and he would walk out right after Modim. Thought the guy maybe was impatient, maybe he's a smoker, but then he realized he does it on Shabbat too and on the holidays too. And you know what? The end of prayers from on a on a day of the week from Modim till the end is much further, is much shorter than Modim till the end on a holiday. And yet each time always and the rabbi thought, 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 how am I gonna get this guy to stay till the end of Tefillah? So he thought of a great idea. He invited him on a holiday. He said, please come to my house. You'll join me for lunch. I'd love to have you. The guy says, sure, Rabbi, of course I'll come. He's excited to come. But the rabbi doesn't tell him where he lives. Now the guy's got to stay until the end of prayers, right? Because otherwise, how's he going to know how to get to lunch? Well, Modim, the rabbi's feeling pretty self, uh, self-satisfied. He goes to Modim. All of a sudden, he turns around right after Modim. And he looks, and the guy's gone. He's folded his talet. He's out. All right, he left, didn't work. An hour goes by, the prayers are over, he walks outside, and where's this guy sitting in the Jerusalem sun? The guy is sitting there like this with his hands folded, he's got his talent right under his arm. The rabbi's like, oh, I, you're still here, I saw that you left. And the guy's like, yeah. The guy doesn't want to embarrass him, the rabbi. So he says, you know what, rabbi? He's The rabbi said, let's go, let's have some lunch. They have lunch, they have a great time, they're drinking wine, till finally, when they're all uh, happy and joyous and full of you know excitement, he turns to the fellow and he says... You know, tell me, how come you always run out after Modim? And the man's looking down, and uh, all of a sudden he looks up and his eyes are red, and the rabbi feels bad, like, did I need to bring this up? Maybe he's embarrassed. Maybe he's ADHD, can't stay in the synagogue for too long. And the man says, Rabbi, I'll tell you the truth. When I was a much younger man, I was unfortunately in the barracks uh, in, in one of the concentration camps. And there was an elderly man there who was like the guide of all of us. He was like the father of all of us. And one day he walks in and he pulls out from underneath his shirt, his uniform. He had two matzahs. And he said, tonight we're going to have a seder in the barracks. And everyone went crazy. And that night, after lights out, we made sure that there was no noise. Everyone crept out of their beds onto the floor of the barracks. And he started leading the most beautiful seder. This is the bread of affliction. You could imagine what that felt like. They go through the said that they finally get to matzah, that's all that they have. And he breaks off one little tiny crumb of the matzah. Everyone gets a crumb until 800 people, the man says to this rabbi, 800 of us had gotten one crumb of matzah on the night of Pesach. We finished the seder and it was a seder that I will never forget. So powerful. But right as we finished the end of the seder, there's a big noise at the door and the door gets kicked in. And a Nazi guard runs in. Everyone scrambles to their beds. And the one poor guy who was a little slower than everyone else gets grabbed by this beast. He puts a gun to his head and he says, tell me who's responsible for this party, for this get together, or I'm going to kill you. The man doesn't say anything. And the Nazi understands that if he's not saying who it was, then that means it wasn't him. Because if it was him, he would have said me. What that means is that it was someone else. And what that means is that that person 
was worth protecting. Well, he says, okay, game's changed. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to kill everyone in this barracks if the person responsible doesn't step forward. The elderly man steps forward, opens up his shirt, and he says, please don't do anything to anybody else. I'm the one responsible for this. If someone has to die, let it be me. The Nazi's face turns into a scowl, and he says, actually, I'm not going to kill you tonight. This is too good for you. I'm going to wait till tomorrow when we can get all of the people from all of the barracks to stand there. We're going to br- drag you up to the uh, to the uh, the uh, the, ba- the gallows, and we'll 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 kill you in front of everyone so that every single person can see what the price you pay is when you don't listen to the Nazis. Everyone's there. They take the man up, and before they string him up. They ask him if he has any last wishes. And the man says, the truth is, my last wish is if I could speak to my brothers and sisters before I die. They grant him his last wish. He comes to the edge of the podium, the edge of this uh, large stage, and he says to his Jewish brothers and sisters below, he says, my entire breeder, You know, my dear brothers and sisters, I wish I could give you some food, some drink, some comfort. comfort. I wish I could save you. I wish I could do something for you. But I don't have any drink, and I don't have any food, and I can't do anything for you. I'm powerless. But there's one thing that I do have. There's one thing that I can do. I'm a Kohen. And I can give you the blessing of a Kohen. And he raises up his hands and he says, And then they hung him. And the man says, As soon as I got out of that camp, the first thing I wanted to do was ensure that I married someone who wasn't Jewish so that the children that I would have would not be Jews so that they would never be hunted in the streets the way I was. That was my first thought. And I found a woman, and I fell in love, and she loved me back. And it came time to get married. And when it came time to go get married, to go to the wedding, I couldn't do it. All I could see in my mind's eye was this man standing there swaying back and forth, and all I could hear was, Adonai I left. I found another Jewish woman, uh, and I started dating her, and eventually we fell in love and we got married. And I said, if my kids are going to be Jewish, then at the very least I'm going to send them to a non-Jewish school, and no one else will know that they're Jewish except for me. When it came time to sign them up for the non-Jewish school, I couldn't do it. All I could see was this man standing in front of me, Ya'er Hashem, Panav Elecha. And that's all I could hear is those words. And from then on, every time, if I ever wanted to steal something, if I ever wanted to break Shabbat, if I ever wanted to eat non-kosher, the only thing I would see is this man, Yisa Adonai Panav Shalom. He says, now do you understand why I go out before Modim every single day? It's because I can't bear to see another Birkat Kohanim that should take the place in my mind's eye of the blessing of the Kohen that I saw on that day. 
That is the power, my friends, of a vision. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.